0: (laughs) hello everyone and welcome to the conservation queen's podcast we are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life we are real life zoo employees as always nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own now, please keep in mind, though, that we try to keep our podcast around PG 13. So if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. And with that, let's get started. Unfortunately, Emily B is not able to join us today, but she will be featured later on the podcast. <laughs> I am also sad, but she will be joining with us next week. i uh, pop popping. Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm Kenzie.
1: I'm Katie. I'm Abby. And I'm Emily A. And we are the Conservation Queens. So with that, let's talk about stuff. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Abby, I think you got before Yeah. Yes. Before we give
2: our fan shout out, we've got some super exciting news. After months of really Emily B's hard work and emails. We are hounding (laughs) anchor. This is way longer than we wanted it to take, but we are now on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Breaker Overcast, Pocket and Radio Public, all the major podcasting platforms. It's so Woo!
3: exciting. It's so
2: cool. So, you
3: can literally just go on Spotify and put in Conservation Queens, and then
2: bam, there we are. So, hello to any new listeners that we have. Welcome to our podcast. So, our fan shout out this week is to Gabby.
3: It's my friend, guys. I'm just, she's the best. But she suggested our episode topic today. She wanted to hear us talk about animal communication. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how animals communicate because there's sure are a lot of ways of doing that. But first, we're going to also do our little conservation updates. And I have one really exciting. Good news. Um, The largest city in Australia is now powered by 100% renewable energy. So the rest of the world, you can get on that now and follow suit.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Like we've been asking for the last, you know, 20 years.
3: Yes. But the city is Sydney uh, and it has begun sourcing all of its energy from two solar farms and the largest wind farm in New South Wales. So, wow. wow. Way to go, Sydney. I spent one day there. But it was pretty good, so. <laughs> I was there for 24 I hours. I literally was 24 hours. I walked around the harbor, like, I, and actually that was the day after Pokemon Go came out. So I walked around the harbor specifically catching Pokemon with the rest of Australia <laughs> that day. Um, and I just think, yeah, so I remember walking up to the Opera House, and my first thought was not, oh my gosh, like, there's the Sydney Opera House. It was, uh, everyone around was going, there's a Pikachu, there's a Pikachu, uh, and running toward it. And I was like, wait, what? And then I also ran toward it, and I actually have a picture of the Pikachu in front of the Opera House, because, like, you know how you could see the Pokemon in the real world? Oh my god. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. What a dream come true in Australia and catching a Pikachu! So that was my 24 hours in Sydney. It was great.
4: <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> and let's now move. they're
3: sustainable. Let's, <laughs> yes, and now it's all solar powered Pikachu. <laughs> so, does anyone
2: have any zoo news to share? Me. I have zoo news. So, if you guys all remember, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Minnesota Zoo. And how it was maybe not going to be able to keep its doors open, but good news. They did get some government funding, and they got a lot of donations from visitors. Um, shout out to Kenzie's mom, who donated to the Minnesota Zoo for us. And yeah. the mom.
1: Kenzie's mom is the best.
2: Thank you. I love her. I but love That's her. great and news. Yeah. It's, it's so good. So the Minnesota Zoo is going to stay open. I'm so happy.
0: Woo! So much needed good news.
2: I cried many tears in, in joy.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: We ready to jump right into this topic today?
2: Let's do it because we're not good at communication, so let's talk about what <laughs> animals are better at.
3: <laughs> I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite topics that is covered in animal behavior in general. I think it's so cool and it's such a vast topic. Um, but we're going to try and break it down for y'all and give some cool examples and we'll see how it goes. But animal communication, I'm going to give you the textbook definition right now. and It's going to sound like <laughs> garbage. You're going to be like, what <laughs> did she just say? But basically, the way to define animal communication is it occurs when, the, when there is an action or cue given by one organism. This is called the sender. And this cue is perceived by and alters the probability pattern of a behavior in another organism. Known as the receiver. Uh, And it's conveyed in a fashion that's adaptive to either one of the participants. So basically, in a way that either one of them will understand. So, words, what do they even mean? Uh, Basically, here's an example of that. So, take a little froggy boy, a male frog, if you will, and well, you can't pick a female one for this example. So. No, that would not work for what I'm going with. So male frog croaks in the night and you hear a bajillion of them croaking and you're like, why? God, oh, why? They're so loud. <laughs> Please tell them the quiet. Well, they just want to find a mate and this is how they know how to do it. So a male frog will croak to attract a female to his location so that they can
2: potentially mate. Uh, so now, so what you're saying Yes. Is that every time I walk in my backyard mm-hmm. and I hear all these frogs, mm-hmm. all of them are just yelling, please be my girlfriend.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Please come hang out with yes, me.
3: Yes, pretty much. Yes. And there's about a million of them. So the girls out there have a lot of croaks to, <laughs> to try and figure out which one they like <laughs> the
0: best. But so what you're saying is. What you're saying is they got to kiss a lot of frogs before they
3: meet
2: Oh, my
0: God. Dad joke
2: number one. uh, Yeah, of this episode. I'm going to keep a running tally. Okay. (laughs) So that male frog is (laughs) the sender. He
3: has uh, given the action or cue, which is the croak, which indicates that he is looking for a mate. The receiver is the female frog that hears the croak. croak, And because she hears that sound, it is more likely that she will find the male frog and potentially mate with him. So that's the behavior that's altered. Now, while this sounds like a surefire plan for the frog to find a mate, uh, it can actually backfire and be pretty (gasps) risky. Yes, way. Just like any dating situation. (laughs) (laughs) But basically what can happen is even though that communication has evolved within that frog species, uh, it also can evolve alongside another species. So, for example, <gasps> there's a frog, it's called a Tungara frog. Hope I said that right. And it produces a croak, an advertisement call to attract a female to its location. But a bat, Kenzie, bat, yes. <gasps> <Yeah. laughs> it's called a fringe lipped bat can also detect that call and find the frogs for a little you know midnight snack instead so it's both risky for the frog because he's he's got a call to find a girlfriend but he could also get eaten because of it so wow <laughs> communication i mean that really amazing. does sound dating
0: yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah. Also, I just pulled up a picture of a fringe-lipped bat, and oh my goodness! I, was curious, I love them because that name sounds
3: funny, and I was wondering if they do have a little fringed lip. Yeah,
0: they do. It's
3: it's kind of cool.
0: Oh, oh, I really see that. Cool. Oh my gosh, they have quite uh, a, yeah
3: quite a schnoz on them too.
0: Yeah, there's a very specific. A name for the leaf-shaped pattern on top of their nose. That's supposed to help them when they echolocate, but I cannot wow. for the life of me remember it. Hey, that's Starts
2: okay. It, we'll, we'll look up later. His, yeah. his lips do look a little scary, though, not gonna lie. Like they need a, a little, little bit, bit of chapstick? Yes. A little bit. <laughs> some on that.
3: Yeah. There are so many different examples of animal communication besides frogs croaking Fireflies bioluminating is a way of communication. That's actually how they also find their mate. Uh, dogs wagging their tails, whales singing, and even honeybees doing their
2: little waggle dance. Oh my gosh! Dance bees dancing. dance. It's dance. my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's like my favorite that? too. Do you- if anyone.
5: Oh
3: if anyone understood that reference, you're my you you get it. But anyways. <laughs> Uh, So but it is really, really important. And I do want to really make a note of this, that there is a distinction between animal communication and language, because that's where it's kind of like, you know, there can be some debate between scientists, animal behaviorists, psychologists, um, and a lot of research has been done. But basically, the difference between language and communication is that language requires symbolic representation. For example, humans, we, we have a language, many languages, uh, and we use it to create concepts and to describe concepts. So, for example, love is a concept that we have defined and we can describe in an infinite number of ways. Uh, even... Like some more successful than others yeah but you know think of any kind like imagination is a concept uh, time even time is a concept it depends yeah but um, we have ways of describing it and we can create novel combinations and meanings so we can create new ideas new uh mm, there's a word here. Ha, there's a word because it's a language that I'm looking <laughs> for and I'm trying to create a novel meaning or defining something, um, but that actually was a good example of language. So studying language in animals can be very tricky and there hasn't been any real substantial
2: evidence that... Well, it's just hard because it's It's a lot of... We're trying not to anthropomorphize animals. Yes. But we're trying to see how they communicate and if they have a language. But And that in itself might be anthropomorphization.
3: Yes. Well, that's where a lot of the research
2: has gone uh,
3: the wrong way is when people do try to uh, either get... Most of the time, it's getting animals to try and understand our language um, does not really work very well. So, for example, uh, there's this phenomenon it's called the clever Hans effect and basically kind of when animal behavior was starting in its you know beginnings um there was a man who had a horse the horse's name was Hans and he taught the horse math or so he thought uh basically he would present the horse with a problem that would be you know four minus two the horse would then tap the ground with his hoof um two times because four minus two is two and he could do this with like any math problem he was presented with he would bam get the right answer you know tap his hoof 12 times for whatever problem he gave him uh however they found or figured out that it was not that the horse actually understood mathematics um it was that the horse was every time it, the trainer would present him with a math problem and the horse, horse would tap its hoof, uh, the person didn't realize that the trainer would actually basically have a tell um, where if he like leaned forward a little bit um, when the horse tapped the correct answer, the number of times that was correct, um, he'd stop because he saw the signal oh. from the trainer that, yep, that oh, he did that thing, so that means I, I think I get a treat now, which he would get a treat when he got the answer correct. So Hans was not actually doing math he was just uh he found an association between uh his trainer's body language and uh getting a treat that's why training so hard that was operant conditioning for you it was positive reinforcement and yes it does indicate definitely a level of intelligence on the animal's end that it was able to notice such a subtle thing pick up on it and create that association so it it you know Bam. That's the Clever Hans effect. But uh, a more modern example of the Clever Hans effect that I think a lot of people know about is, or that's pretty controversial, um, and a lot of people have many opinions about it, is Coco the gorilla. Because she can talk. Mm, But can she, though? (laughs) The answer is no. But um, (laughs) do you guys all, have we all heard of Coco the gorilla?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have.
3: But yeah. are so, there
0: there may be listeners who haven't or just have a yes. very passing
3: yeah. She was a very famous gorilla while she was alive. I mean, still very known as now, but um she was hand reared and at the age of one it was decided that they were going to try um she was <gasps> hand-reared by researchers. Woof uh, yes, <laughs> animal communication. <laughs>
1: uh she there's a squirrel in the yard. Oh,
3: <laughs> and you know Doug. what that bark
1: is? It's a warning bark.
3: Oh, it's his way amazing. of communicating. Get out of here. Yeah. Wow. Way that. Thank you.
1: Um,
3: <laughs> Coco the gorilla, raised by researchers, uh, decided at the age of one they were going to try to teach her American Sign Language. Yeah. Um, and what ensued was a very interesting story. Basically, her trainers were. To teach her uh, a large number of words, understand what they meant, Um, which is like very, you know, not super crazy when it comes to primates. Um, For example, when I trained monkeys, we would, when we were doing training, I would say something like hand with a hand gesture, and they knew that meant to put their hand in my. In the palm of mine, so we can inspect their hand during like uh, vet examinations. <laughs> and so, yes, primates can understand when we say certain words, and we make an association for them, uh, especially when it comes to positive reinforcement and training. So that's um, where Coco's understanding of words began. But then they also taught her um, signs for certain words, so that she can do them back to the trainer. Now, it was claimed that she knew a thousand different words. And they called it, they ended up calling it gorilla sign language because it was really not American sign language that they had taught her. And to say that she was proficient in it um, was not really accurate. So the issue was that, was it really Coco then speaking when she would sign with her trainers or to her trainers or to other people? Or was it just positive reinforcement and operant conditioning, yeah. as well as a lot of prompting and cues from the trainers themselves um, in certain situations? So that's kind of the, the like, hard part when it comes to animal communication versus language, because there's still that inability to form um, like a sentence, like a complex thought or an
2: abstract, abstract idea is really the big thing. Um, or if they can we just don't know how to interpret it
3: right Uh, that's the whole thing is we I will we will never know what life is like for another animal because we have our own human experience completely different from that of Emily's you know dog that she's watching barking at a squirrel (laughs) I won't know what's going through that dog's head when it sees that squirrel it could be a concept a complex thought or an abstract idea but judging by what we know and have studied in animal communication, we've learned that a bark, like the one that he just emitted is a territorial bark or a warning bark um, because there are differences between that bark and a bark, like a fear bark, um, Mm -hmm. which would indicate that the dog is, you know, being submissive or afraid or something like that. So that's kind of... (laughs) that's like the really overview girl yeah but in the (laughs) fastest way i could do it there's so much (laughs) when it comes to um especially like an example like clever hans or coco clever hans the that example is a pretty straightforward one that's why it's was named the clever hans effect um but then when you're looking at cases like coco the gorilla it gets a little more complex um there's also a pretty famous case have any of you ever heard of alex the parrot
0: yes i believe yes
3: So Alex is an African, was an African gray parrot, um, that was very similar in that it was raised by a researcher and, um, she basically taught him to identify colors, shapes, um, like a a bunch of other things. It was actually really amazing what this parrot could do when it came to identifying objects and textures. They're super smart. They have the mental capacity of, um, I think it was claimed they had the mental capacity of a five-year-old human, um, which is crazy in the concepts that they could grasp. However, it becomes another kind of, is it more of like the memory of this animal and, you know, the uh, again, the associations and the operant conditioning that they go through when it comes to this kind of training and research. And the problem is it's oftentimes single-subject studies. Which makes yeah. the research also mm-hmm.
4: wrong.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Not necessarily wrong, but yeah, pretty hard to to prove, I guess. Hard or, to prove. Uh, but the one instance that I remember learning about Alex the Parrot that kind of made me think, mm, okay, there could be the possibility of language here, um, is he was given... I think it was... I'm pretty sure it was cake, which... <laughs> Don't feed your parrot's cake, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on in this situation. Uh he did now. He did not. He did not know the word for cake, um, but he knew the words "yummy" and he knew the word "bread." And so when he was eating it, apparently he said "yummy bread." Now that is two different things that he put together to describe one thing, which could be considered a novel combination. That, but uh, yeah. it could be a coincidence too, right? So that's the thing is we just don't know. So but I'm basically, I must cease yes on this topic. It's this so, there's just,
0: <laughs> so there's just there's a lot of nuance and a lot of complexities to sort through that even scientists themselves struggle with. Essentially, is yes. What we're as hearing. far as language yeah. is uh,
3: concerned, animal communication is pretty straightforward. Uh, there are four different kinds of animal communication. Yeah, Yes, and we're going to go through all of them and give you some examples of it because they're really fascinating.
0: But real quick, before we jump to Abby, and Abby, this will actually segue, but have you guys heard of the African gray parrot that Andrew Jackson had? No. Did it call him an idiot? Because I would have loved that. Pretty much. Because she was. So so listeners uh, who are listening to this, definitely, especially if you are a history fan, look this up. But apparently Andrew Jackson had a parrot and he taught it to quote unquote speak or, you know, how parrots, they can replicate certain words or speech Uh, like Mm -hmm. Katie. you were just talking about Uh, Andrew Jackson had quite a temper and was known for uh, a very colorful mouth. And so when he finally died, the parrot was at his funeral and proceeded (laughs) to swear so much that they had to remove the parrot from the funeral, and honestly, what? yeah, that is the most honestly, that's, that's pretty, the, yeah, honestly, especially since he's responsible for the uh, trails of tears. But whoa, that's another subject, but yeah, anyways, that's a cool
2: mood though,
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's, not, let's not
3: open that can of worms right now. Yeah. But that's not like
2: that's not really how like birds communicate though. Because no. let's talk about that, yeah. Tell us, Abby, tell us. Great. Segue. So, <laughs> thanks. I'm a master. I've got my helmet and everything. Because we're on a segue. All right. Uh... Oh, government
1: spies. Go. <laughs>
2: government spies. We're talking about burbs. Um, what so kind burbs. of communication
3: are we talking about?
2: Well, let me burbs? tell you. Because they so got a bur- couple. <laughs> I was going to say, that I, w- I was getting there. If you just let sorry, me talk sorry. my words. Okay. Um, burbs. <laughs> verbs use a lot of different kinds of communication um vocal is one that a lot of people are familiar with but another one is visual communication yes um and spoiler alert it's mostly because they uh, are all looking for mates and want to have sex so that's what this topic is <laughs> going to be mostly about there's some, there some other <laughs> there are some other examples in there but there's wanna this, smash this be a lot of <laughs> all right so katie's on board um that's
3: the most but, iconic bird
2: video there is on the internet Jeez. Oh, so moving on uh, let's talk about color first because there's lots of colors birds are colorful right yes yeah usually it's usually the boys right
3: yeah uh, yeah they're pretty yeah. colorful
2: it's mostly men so you guys know how sometimes like if men are trying to impress a lady to like put on a tuxedo or a suit jacket <laughs>
0: I don't know what kind sure. of man you're talking
2: about, but sure, we'll roll with it. Okay. Or like, you know how they like wear a long sleeve button up shirt, but then they like roll their shirt up to like halfway. Oh yes. Fancy. And you're like, somehow it makes they them tried. Like a little it bit more attractive. I don't know how that works, but it does. Um, so birds will also use colorful feathers to indicate that they are ready to go and they are mating material. Um, especially parrots will have super colorful feathers or another good example is like a cardinal because mm-hmm. the more red a cardinal is um, the more mature they are as a male and the females are kind of just like looking out for the reddest prettiest bird um, that's but, important like what, yeah is that they're looking The color indicates something about
3: their health
2: yeah and it's mm-hmm. not just their feathers either so if you look at other kinds of animals they have different um, visual communications. So, blue-footed boobies have bright blue peats. They have new peatsies and boobies. Um, and they actually like will dance, which is uh, visual as well. Um, but the bright blue feet indicate that they're ready to go. Um, king penguins have a strip of skin on their beak that actually indicates how hot or cold they are.
0: Oh, Isn't that crazy? I did not know that.
2: Yeah, so African penguins have um, a little patch under their eye as well. It is the same thing. So it's like the one part of their body that's not really covered in feathers and is not their beak or feet. Um, and different colors can show at least how hot or cold they are. So it's, it's a way that a lot of zookeepers will monitor bird health, which is crazy. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then juvenile purple Martins also have bright yellow mouths. So a purple Martin's a migratory bird that goes from Brazil all the way up to um, the United States for spring and summer. And the little babies, if you see their mouth open, like uh, it's bright yellow and you can tell that they're just like, feed me, Seymour. It's all kinds of, I'm hungry, (laughs) which I could use that. But instead, I just yell, I'm hungry. Um, But there's visual communication as well. Um they also use body positioning, so body language. <laughs> uh okay, okay, Ursula. Yeah. Um feathers is one way. Uh they can show or hide different colors of feathers on their body. Um like red-winged blackbirds will like show more of their color when they're down yeah. to clown. Um uh, <laughs> It's kind of like ladies it. in the old timey movies that like lift up their skirt and show their ankle and you're like, oh, Ooh, oh.
0: scandalous.
2: Um, <laughs> it also could just be a position of individuals that are in flocks. Um, starlings will like make these crazy formations and it could be some kind of communication. Um, it also could be parts of their body. Have you guys ever heard of a frigate bird?
0: I have. Yeah. They're the really big seafaring ones, right?
2: Yeah, and they got that big old red sack on their neck. Mm. Um, that sack is called their gular. It's basically the thing that attaches the bottom Wait, of their beak.
3: What is it called?
2: Their gular.
3: Their ah! gular.
2: Oh. Listen. Boy, let me see their gular. Look up a frigate bird right now. And How do you spell frigate? F-R-I-G-A-T-E. And then Thank bird. You. Perfect. You'll know what I'm talking about. There's no missing it. So they got these, like, big, these big, sexy gular pouches, and they inflate them. Oh, um, yes. Oh. I know exactly oh, yeah. the bird you're
3: talking about. Yes. Okay. Right, but you just
2: don't know the name of it. It's not Yeah, name I didn't know that's what it was called. Yep. They inflate those big, sexy pouches to let ladies know that they are also ready to do the thing. Um... <laughs> Do you guys want to hear, like, a really dumb story from when I was a little kid? Yes. It's I'm related. So, so. We, had, <laughs> we had this, like, exercise ball that was bright red, and I was reading a book that had a frigate bird in it, and so I would go around the house with, like, the exercise ball, like, right oh. underneath my chin, oh my God. pretending <laughs> to be a frigate bird. Oh and, God, like, I don't so think great. my parents even know about this, but, like, I distinctly remember doing that they probably just oh, thought wow. you were
3: crazy they just thought that was like there she is off. the
2: exercise ball on her neck again <laughs> but what I was up with that like, i was literally like i'm this bird like look at i have the pouch like the bird does <laughs> i remember doing that wow when i was like five wow nice.
0: you were a bird nerd even before puberty that's that's pretty impressive <laughs> <And> yeah
2: amazing. <laughs> usually you have that one bird that just like Flips you and you're like, oh, I am a bird nerd. Like you don't realize it until <laughs> be like get you. It, it <laughs> does, um, but yeah, that was never a problem for me. I just kind of always was a bird nerd. There you um, go. I'm kind of going fast through this because there's a there's one that I really want to talk about. So, um, so talking about posture next. Um, so, hi, peacocks. <laughs> posture is how a bird stands or how mm-hmm. they hold their feathers. So mm-hmm. some birds like to fluff up their feathers to appear bigger than they are.
3: Mm-hmm. Like and a they peacock. like to
2: harass Katie when she's trying to clean an
3: animal exhibit and not having <laughs> yeah. to
1: you Listen, know, be distracted by
3: had, a peacock.
1: I've had peacocks try to harass my horse while I'm riding the horse.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> a oh horse no! Have well, no
1: fear, if you guys.
2: If you guys would just respond to the the signals they're putting out, maybe it wouldn't happen.
1: Listen. What am I I'm
2: supposed to do? Of
1: Force. That peacock should take a step back. OK. What's really funny is
2: like last week we talked about how I saw that grizzly bear in Glacier National Park that was like five away but it was like i'm not gonna mess the horses but then there's this tiny bird that's just like i don't care
0: yep. <laughs> yeah. i will fight god that is that is the literal that's mentality birds. of a peacock that's
2: <laughs> no, yep. yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like all of them
0: yeah. but so um, their
3: posture well,
2: yeah so cockatiels are also a good example um, everybody knows like the cockatoos that have like the fun yellow feathers that stand up on the back of their head the sulfur crested cockatoos. yeah it's so cute they're so cute. They use that for communication. Um, they Who's also communicate. Has... Jury's out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Fair we're, working, we're working on it. I've, I've, yeah, there's lots of. Who knows? Um, I mean, I feel
3: like a lot of the, the visual feather things with birds is like you said, it just indicates that they're healthy, that they are. Hardy yeah, and yeah. going to provide good genetics for children.
2: <laughs> That's like the nicest way to say attract a mate is I am Hardy and going to provide good genetics for your
1: children. Yeah, and
3: I think yeah. you're going to talk about it. But movement is a good example of that.
2: I
1: think movement that is, is a super a, uh, good example. Pickup line. So if <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm healthy and Hardy and have good genetics,
1: just say, "Hey, I could give you really good offspring." <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think I think, that's, well. I think that's something you say for the third date.
2: <laughs> oh, wow!
0: At least the third. At least the third. At yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway, birds are just birds. Birds have no decorum, so they're just like day one. Let's that's go. That's true, Becky. Um, a smash! Sorry. Oh my gosh! Sorry. I had another counter on my screen for Kenzie dad jokes and Katie Vine references. <laughs> it's a whole video it's even longer than seven seconds um, I'm not yeah. educated in the internet mm. um too bad but talk about, let's talk about movement though yes um, yeah because we need to talk about birds of paradise have you guys heard of these
0: yes these are so I cool. love them they I only are wait my I thought favorite.
1: birds of paradise was a plant it uh, is, is it a well yes it is a but plant.
3: there are also
2: actual birds of paradise
1: oh okay yeah, so Emily,
2: Emily, I'm guessing you probably have seen them. You just didn't know that they were called birds of paradise because there's like 30 different species of them. Uh, but they're in like every nature documentary because they are—they mm-hmm. do this weird thing. So, birds of paradise will go around, and they little males, because they're the colorful ones, will make a little stage. They will sing to attract a lady over and then they do the super elaborate dance. They use a lot of forms of communication. A ton. Um, so each species has its own dance or like stage building rituals. The most popular one that I've seen because it's just become a meme is the one that has like a black umbrella yes, with a bright I'm blue at, mouth. I am
1: looking at a picture of that one right now. Mhm.
2: Yes, and they and they do like a little hopping dance and basically whichever lady whichever man is like the best dancer gets the girl which is hilarious to me because they are so funky so definitely look up birds of paradise um everybody on the online just watch their dances because they're very funny um the other one that dances that's actually a little bit more close to home are woodcocks have you guys ever heard of these no. yes i actually yes. had to do yes. some
0: volunteer studying with them I did, too. Oh, that's so funny. Ah!
2: (laughs) We had shirts that said gone cocking.
3: Oh, (laughs) Oh my God.
2: Wow. My college was progressive. Um, But but if you haven't heard of woodcocks, I, I guarantee you've seen them because there's a meme that goes around every year of the woodcock doing its little groovy dance, and there's always, like, some kind of, like, music in the background that makes it look like it's dancing to the music so they have like a really long spindly beak and they just kind of bob up and down to the music and it looks like they're like moving their head to the beat so if you look up woodcock video it you get a lot of really great ones uh the best one is funky american
1: woodcock on youtube Sorry, I'm Googling these as you're talking about them, and they do an amazing, like, disco dance.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they do, right?
3: That's the one. and The one
2: that, yeah.
3: It's important because the more they dance and the more they are able to do the dance, like, the, to the best of their abilities, indicates that they have a lot of stamina and, once oh. again, are very healthy and hearty and ready to provide you good genetics for your baby. I'm telling
1: you, it's the pickup <laughs> line of the century. But that's that's at the least thing for is, birds.
3: Is the I mean, the whole community like the movement, the posture, everything Abby said has to communicate something in order to be considered communication?
2: But can we also take a minute to know that this video that's titled "Funky American Woodcock" was put up at a center for biological diversity? <laughs> that's that's
3: how you that's a great way to promote conservation as memes i'm just saying
2: it is and woodcocks um are just like super cool birds everyone should go look them up and then send us your videos where you have them dancing to your favorite song (laughs) um which brings me to auditory communication
3: yes music sing sing for me my angel Ah. (laughs) <laughs> another no, great no. ecological meme of the shrew <laughs> but the, the
2: little was it a shrew or was it yes, it was solanodon it was sh- i think
3: i thought it was a shrew i don't even know what a solanodon is <laughs> it it's a weird cool. thing it sounds
2: like a dinosaur but it's not a dinosaur uh, it's, 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 it's they're a venomous, venomous nocturnal burrowing insectivorous uh, mammal uh, oh i an don't know who
3: you're talking about it's an, it's an elephant shrew, the one in that video we're talking oh, about. If anyone has, doesn't wow. know what video we're talking about, um, it is. A, Go look it up. It's, it's like from a nature documentary of this elephant shrew, but someone put the Phantom of the Opera music over it. So You can <laughs> just Google, um, if you Google shrew and then Phantom of the Opera, it'll, it's the first thing that pops up. It, I mean, it will okay. be, it'll be worth your time, I promise.
2: But, side Hi. note, if that is your cup of tea, there is an entire show on the BBC that is, oh my gosh, I just forgot the title of it. But it's this funny BBC show where they literally take nature documentaries and they just do voiceovers. Is that the one with Snoop Dogg? No, it's a on?
3: different one. Oh, that's too bad. That's a great one.
2: Well, I love documentaries. But anyway, yeah, auditory I communication.
1: What kind of auditory communication? Kenzie's going to talk about her favorite animal, knockoff bats. I
0: have no idea what it could be. (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to move on over from birds to the only mammal capable of true flight. (laughs) And the best animal in the world, may I add, the best? Walk on the wild side. Sorry, that's the name of the thing. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my. All right. All right. Wow. Okay, I see how it is. So moving on over to the important stuff, bats. Uh, we're talking about auditory communication. My show communication. is very
2: important. Uh,
0: not as important as bats. Not in this okay, stage. I... Not at this level. Oop. Oop. <laughs> I love you. Kay. Anyways, So auditory. <laughs> I'm so... I, that came out a lot meaner than I intended. I apologize. No,
2: I'm here for it. No, no, keep going.
0: All right. So when we talk about auditory communication, we are thinking of things to hear. As uh, so you can gather from a to- context clues with Phantom of the Opera, we're talking about <laughs> We're talking about words, but bats don't really quite communicate in words. But here's some interesting facts that I learned. So right behind humans, it's believed that bats are the most verbal slash talkative of all animals that we know of today on planet Earth which is really pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah. Not it's,
3: what I would have guessed at all. No, no, not
0: what I would have guessed either. And there's been a lot of studies on verbal communication with bats and it's really cool. So I was actually reading a article published by the Smithsonian back in 2016. There are researchers in Tel Aviv and they actually found that bat noises, they're not random as we may have thought before, uh, but they were actually able to classify the majority of the calls they were able to record into about four different categories. Um, one of the calls was about the bats arguing about food, which, I mean, who hasn't been there? Uh, <laughs> another, right, I'm another- like so
2: hungry right now.
0: I know. I got some chicken katsu that's calling my name from a fridge. But um, another call group that they classified was disputing over positions within the sleeping clusters. So if you ever had to share a bed with a sibling or on sleepover, mm-hmm. you also know. Uh, third call, reserved for males making unwanted mating advances. Uh it oh, happen to yes. the animal too? And so
5: Back, are
2: up. Back up? Back boy. Are Back up.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it translates to no
2: in all capital letters. You are not
3: hearty and healthy enough to bear my (laughs) children. Get your genetics out of here.
2: (laughs) And that's the correct response to that pickup line. Yes.
0: And then the fourth and final one happens when a bat argues with another bat about sitting too close. Oh my God. Uh, I didn't realize bats are so petty. I love this. Right, they're amazing, and you know they're just—they're fond of their personal space. They like to be social and they like to be around other bats, but in the end, they still need their personal bubble. Which honestly, I think this this is my bubble.
2: I think think my inner animal is a bat.
0: Yeah, we are all bats,
3: Abby. We are all bats, guys. If you guys listen at the beginning, I mean, of our podcast, if you're a newer listener and don't know what that little beginning jingle is, there, it's all of our favorite animal noises kind of mashed together with the ukulele behind it, but there are bat noises in there. So mm-hmm. yes. when it ends, you and, can re-listen for those bats again.
0: Yes, and I'm glad you actually mentioned that, Katie, because when I was doing my research for this episode, uh, it... and. What from I gathered from personal experience, too, a lot of the communication that bats use, we can't hear. So they usually communicate to each other verbally by high frequency chirps, screeches. Mm-hmm. They even sing as well. And their frequencies are usually over about 100,000 waves per second. Uh, now, humans, wow. if I remember correctly, is within the 20,000 wave sector. I would double fact check that. Um, actually, <laughs> Yeah, 20,000 20, waves per second. So we can't go. hear, we only hear a very small portion of what they're actually saying. So there are some yeah, really close. Cool... Like
1: yeah. Opposite end of the spectrum, the elephant, like they have like. It's so low, we
0: can't hear it either. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we that's just why. We have really
1: bad
2: ears.
0: You know, <laughs> we true. really do. Compared to we the rest do, of the though. animal community, we really do. We suck at it. Uh, but that's the why only we get things
1: have. That is
2: going we have other
0: things that make up good for it mean.
1: other than that exactly we're useless wait yeah, am
3: I so arguing do- for people right now I'm sorry never mind keep going
0: okay. <laughs> I don't want to do right. that all right so so, yes, as a so yeah, so they are able to communicate um, at frequencies that we can't hear. So there's a lot that we still need to learn about them. And, of course, not only do they use this to communicate with each other, but they can also use this to help locate their food. And you guys probably know where I'm going with this. Starts with the E, ends with shun. Evolution? E-shun. You guys. <laughs> you guys are making me so sad right now. Come on, wait, Kenzie. What does a dolphin use? What does a dolphin the use?
1: Echo location.
0: Oh my god. Echo I'm, so right. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs>
1: oh wait, no. I, I like, didn't
2: understand what time. you were
0: asking oh. for a second.
1: <laughs> I thought this was a. I thought we were
2: doing a bit.
0: Well, I, I, I well, it turned into one. So good job. Okay. Uh, echolocation so they also use echolocation uh to find food most specifically with small microbats or insectivores but what's really cool is that by using that echolocation they can detect objects as thin as a human hair and complete and total darkness what yeah so just yeah yeah, so pluck a hair from your head and just look at that and try and imagine you stumbling around the dark you just yelling into it, trying to find that single human hair in the dark. All right,
2: here's what you guys will <laughs> need to do. all need to run outside right now and take some hairs and throw them up and then just like scream and, scream. and see if
1: we can figure it out. <laughs> I think my neighbors might think I'm disturbed. You could, it's quarantined.
2: Like, They're not going to care. They're going to be the like, like- same. <laughs>
3: i will understand. If, I know has, if there's any Avatar: The Last Airbender fans out there, but <gasps> when um, the Ember Island players are doing oh tough, and she's like, "I <laughs> see," by using echolocation, and then she just screams in their faces, and then she's like, "There, I got a pretty good look at you."
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's bats <laughs> for you. Um, but what I really found incredibly interesting and compelling, though, is that studies of verbal communication of bats they are hoping to actually potentially use for treating human speech disorders so by understanding oh. how bats verbally communicate and the points in their brain that they use uh, to communicate with each other they could potentially once they get enough evidence and data use for you know the human side of things in medicine so yeah pretty cool Yay. that is awesome yeah, you could say it's pretty bat-ass. Um, oh, uh, dad joke number, what is that? Dad joke number two? That's two. two. That's two for this yeah.
2: episode. Let
0: All right, me that's write good. that down. <laughs> yeah, so that's bats and auditory communication, but uh, there are, again, as Emily mentioned, like with elephants, there's lots of different other examples of auditory communication within the whole of the animal kingdom and spectrum. And I think... Around this time, our friend Emily B is going to be chirping in from the future, talking about yeah. another animal
2: Whoa.
0: that communicates. Yeah.
2: Take it away, future Emily.
4: Here we go. Hello. Testing one, two. All righty. So we're going to get started uh, with tactile communication, which is communication by touch. So tactile communication Um, is primarily been studied in dolphins, of course, freaking dolphins. Everybody loves dolphins, Um, but uh, they are a very charismatic and very intelligent animal, which means they have been studied quite a bit. So a lot of the tactile information that we have um, from animals actually does come from dolphins Um, because they are so social. um, They exhibit a lot of tactile communication. So um, this is very prominently seen kind of across the board with whales and dolphins, um, not just dolphins, but, um, other whale species as well. Um, but because bottlenose dolphins are the ones that are primarily seen in aquarium seen in zoos, um, as well as primarily studied because they are coastal species of dolphin um, out in the wild. Um, it just means we have the most information off of them. So that's what we are going to talk about right now. Um, Now this tactile communication can take place a couple of different ways, Um, especially in dolphins. It can be, they can be touching flukes, flippers. um, They can actually rub their entire bodies along each other, um, or they can play with their teeth um, or bite each other. Um, And we'll be talking a little bit about that in just a moment. Um, But this tactile behavior that dolphins and whales exhibit is very reinforcing to them. They appear to enjoy it and seek it out, especially bottlenose dolphins, because they do have such complex social relationships So it is a way for them to bond with each other, um, just kind of rub up on each other and say, hey, friend, what's up today? Um, But it also uh, is very well documented across the board um, between mothers and their babies. So this is not just in whales and dolphins. You see this in most mammal species, for example, um, that the mothers and their babies will have a very close physical bond. Um, And again, this is true, particularly in dolphins um, that calf is going to stay right next to mom as long as they can, because mom is protecting them, um, giving them everything they need, milk, etc. Um, and so there's a lot of tactile happening there. Um, now tactile in dolphins actually serves a secondary purpose, um, because dolphins slough off the top layer of their skin every couple of, like hours, like every one or two hours. Um, So they lose between 12 to 14 layers of skin every single day. Um, Their skin is much thicker than ours and losing the skin um, every so often does help them to stay more hydrodynamic. So they're quicker swimmers. Um, Yeah. So this behavior though of the sloughing off the skin um, and scratching themselves to get the dead skin off is actually really well documented in uh, some larger whale species like gray whales and bowhead whales who will Rub themselves on the ocean floor to get off barnacles or parasites and things like that. So that's kind of neat. Um, now, tactile interactions can also be sexual in nature, um, can be for mating purposes. Um, the male's going to come over and bother the female if he wants to have a baby. Um, so that is kind of a given. But dolphins are also very tactile animals when it comes to play. Um, as well as aggression. So, um, there are some pretty gnarly videos out there of dolphins, pretty much body slamming each other, um, because they are not getting along, which is kind of interesting to watch. Um, but I will say probably the most fun aspect of this is the play aspect. Uh, dolphins love to play. I'm sure you've all seen plenty of videos of dolphins being ridiculous, playing with toys, making toys out of anything they can get their rostrum on their mouth on. Um, Dolphins in the wild have been documented playing with like seaweed, sea stars, even just rocks or leaves. They will literally play with anything. Um, and this goes for dolphins in human care as well. Um, and because dolphins are so tactile and their skin is pretty sensitive, um, most aquariums will provide tactile enrichment for them, which means it's going to be Um, things that the dolphin can rub themselves on that feel different. So it might be a big foam mat for them to jump on. It might be um, just big strips of almost like felt material that they can rub themselves on. They just like the feel of different things. It makes it interesting for them. Uh, Another behavior that is tactile that dolphins exhibit, um, both when they're playing as well as sometimes when they are exhibiting aggression it's going to be rake marks so rake marks are those teeth marks that you may see on dolphins they look almost like a comb was run down the skin Um, now as i mentioned earlier their skin is very very thick so these do not pierce their skin they don't make them bleed Um, it's pretty much just a surface wound Um, and it does heal quite quickly so you might see a dolphin who's got a pretty nasty um, rake mark and then you come back a week later and that rake mark is completely gone because all the skin has cycled through And you can't use those uh, to identify individuals because they are not permanent. Now, dolphins can, um, especially when they are exhibiting the aggressive biting, they can make notches in each other's flukes and fins because those are strictly made out of cartilage. um, So they can uh, lose pieces there, and you can actually use that to identify individuals. Now, this wouldn't be a segment by yours truly, Emily B., if we didn't talk about my favorite animal the beluga whales so I looked up uh, beluga whale tactile interactions um, and what I found was that there is not a lot of beluga tactile information out there Uh, there was a study that happened up in the Canadian Arctic in a place called Cunningham Inlet and they did observed that the belugas, and this was a four-year study, um, they observed that the belugas 14% of their time was spent rubbing their bodies on the substrate, so on the bottom of the uh, inlet there. But this was not communication between individuals. This was strictly just like, I'm itchy. Um, And it makes sense because belugas actually go through a seasonal molt, um, which means they are getting rid of those layers of skin kind of all at once instead of continuously like a dolphin. Um, And that means they get kind of itchy. It's like when you get a sunburn and it peels. That means they're scratchy and itchy and they got to get it off. So that's why they're doing that. Um, Now, the tactile communication that does exist uh, between belugas that has been studied is strictly between mothers and calves. Um, Mothers and calves will, like I said, have a very close physical bond. And probably the cutest thing I found while I was researching this is that um, there's a behavior that's been documented both between wild belugas and belugas in human care. And that is where the calf will actually bump their melon or their big forehead um, onto mom, like bump their belly to be like, hi, mom, I would like some milk now, Uh, which I just thought was the cutest thing of all time. So uh, with that, that's really all we have to talk about today for tactile. Um, If you're interested, there is a ton of information out there about dolphin tactile communication because it is so well studied. Um, And like I said, other animals do exhibit tactile communication as well, but I thought we'd focus on dolphins today. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to our next segment, which is Emily A., who I believe is talking about uh, communication by smell or pheromones, if you will.
3: And thanks, Emily B., for that
2: was so cool.
3: (laughs) Your (laughs) lovely input for tactile communication. I'm sure
2: you mentioned beluga whales about 30 times.
3: At least. Now, (laughs) our last form of communication
1: is the best one: olfactory communication. So, if that's a big word and you don't know what it is, it's okay. (laughs) It is smell and taste so that's what we're talking about is pheromones essentially
3: chemicals baby
1: yeah um, i feel like that should
2: be chemistry's tagline
3: chemicals <laughs> baby i think it pretty much is yes
2: yeah, yeah but it'd make it more well interesting be. when you sign up for the course
3: definitely because yeah. chemistry is uh it's a well lot. anyway but <laughs> so what a what well, little factory so... communication are we looking at here
1: yeah, so when I googled olfactory communication in animals, the majority of the things that kept coming <laughs> up was insects, um, mm-hmm. and I guess insects mostly rely heavily on scent communication or like using pheromones um, heavily. Oh, pheromones, oh well, for yeah. sure.
3: Yep, dog agrees. A lot of pheromones. Ooh, growl. Is there a squirrel again? no someone came in the house oh growl yeah no uh insects use a lot of or they rely heavily on on pheromones that's definitely true
1: yeah like I found that ants actually leave like a scent trail for other Mm -hmm. ants to see where Mm -hmm. they've been that's why it don't matter once they get in the
2: house if you see one that's it you're done Yep. <laughs> Do, aren't you guys all in the group where we all pretend to be ants in an ant colony? No, I'm not oh in group. I'm not in that one. I need to join that one on Facebook. I it's, know exactly what
3: you're talking about.
2: It's a party. Oh. Things happen. In that, that reminded that group. me of it. I actually forgot about it. But
3: yeah, if you're interested, li- you can join a Facebook group where everyone pretends to be an ant in an ant colony.
2: <laughs> it is. Very we lift fun. a lot of watermelon. There's <laughs> a lot of
1: lifting. But anyways. Back to sense. <laughs> um something that's super common that I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with is cats marking their territory. Um and they do it not only to claim their territory, but how they can find a mate. AKA which is when the male finds a female when it's her time to shine, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. wow.
2: that's, there are, I could, I could detect some raised eyebrows in your voice there.
3: If you, if you know what I mean. Oh, wink, wink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then one of the other really common things um, was sharks having a sense of smell, which, like, I didn't actually know if they have nostrils, but apparently they do.
3: They do. Yes. But they Two, do. Two thirds of their brain is dedicated to uh, scent, to smell.
1: It's it makes incredible. dissecting them hard. And there is this song, Gosh. A very strong myth about sharks how they can detect a single drop of blood from a mile away, uh, which is actually not true, but they do have an incredible. They have a, sense a very
3: strong sense of smell, and that is mainly how they find their
2: food.
1: Yes. Uh,
3: but they have poor eyesight, so poor babies can't see what so they're doing. So that's going why their, well, their noses are better. Yes, it, it makes sense. <laughs>
1: Um, but, you know, I always got to take this to a weird place. So, um, <laughs> oh, this is the best place, though. We live in a weird place. So one of the more unique ways to use uh, scent communication, um, meerkats, um, they pee on each other.
3: Nice. Um, <laughs>
1: the scent that comes uh, from them is uh, not just urine, but it uh, comes from their anal glands as well. So um, amazing.
3: Neat. <laughs> I mean, I love them.
1: I think it's so funny because I don't know who is who in their, like, group or what they call as a mob, um, unless they all smell the same. But
3: then how would they tell who is who if they all smell the same?
1: (laughs) I just feel like if this is your troop or your mob, I'm sorry, that you're hanging out with all the time, I feel like you should... You should know each (laughs) other. Well, Katie, there's other kinds of communication.
2: No, explain because so, I don't know how this works. So maybe works. they do more. Oh okay. well, I don't know. I don't. Oh, no, oh,
3: I, I see. Saying. I see. You were just speckling. Yes, I got it.
2: I'm not that smart. <laughs> I, have, I did the birds. Okay, all this right. This is different. But birds don't have noses. They. Can't I'm just do this. trying to
3: figure out what the communication is. Like,
1: like, so the this,
3: like, what is the? Yeah. So, like, they pee on each other. Cool. Yes. So the but what are they communicating exactly?
1: If a new meerkat comes in that's not in their area mm-hmm. or like within their mob,
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: that is the only way that they'll know oh. if it doesn't belong.
3: Wow. Yeah. Abby's right. How, or Emily's right. How do you not know who you've been living with for right? past, for your
2: whole life? Maybe like, wait, in the middle of wait, the night you don't somebody came right.
3: in. I don't know who you are.
2: Get out yeah. of here. How unfortunate would it be if you were like a Meerkat and then one day you go back to your mob, but like an elephant had peed on you a little bit earlier by accident, and then you were just like, Well, too bad. I wouldn't
1: belong anymore. That would be a series of unfortunate events for sure.
2: That I don't um, think that I think about that wasn't in Meerkat Manor. No, (laughs) No. it
1: wasn't. (laughs) I'm sorry, wow. to I disturb you a little bit? No, oh i fine. This I is where my brain goes. Funny. Well, the meerkats, they do treat this like a ritual that they do every morning. It's like a weird... Oh, my
3: God. <laughs> it's like, get up in the morning, got to get my cup of coffee? No, I got to... I got
1: to pee on? What the No, you got to take your shower. i sorry. <laughs> and, like, even... So they have, take like, a shower. very, like, hierarchical system where there's a king yes. and a queen... Yeah. Um, and even they partake in it. And the thought that just went through my head was just one of the meerkats are like, "I am honored for you to pee on me, machine." <laughs> See, I had a different thought. I I literally <laughs> thought
2: like, "Well, it's shower time, so it's time for our group shower. Oh, we all just pee on each gross. other." Gross! <laughs> Stop it. Please. Oh man. Um, yeah. Well, to oh. take it to another weird place. <laughs> oh my favorite! This is my favorite, Emily. You know it is. <laughs>
1: Well, Abby taught me about this. Um, Kenzie, I'm scared. Into it. And giraffes don't smell for hormones when a female is in her cycle, like a normal animal. <laughs> um, giraffes. giraffes are so gross. They, they believe that the only way to determine if another giraffe is cycling is if they drink the urine. <laughs> oh my God. Oh
3: my God.
1: Why? Do you know how they get that urine?
2: Did I tell you this part? Oh, you know I'm even more go- scared now. What? All right. So it's about to get gross, y'all. This is where it gets PG 13. It was already gross. <laughs> <it> PG <PG-13>. 13. <laughs> <laughs> so male giraffes, when they want to know if a female is in her cycle and you estrus, going with this, they take their head no. and they smack <laughs> the butt <laughs> of the female. And they have found if the female giraffe wants to mate with the male giraffe, she pees more. Amazing. <laughs> and then they drink it to see if she's ready to go or not. Incredible. See, this is where like
3: it. my animal behaviorist mind is like, okay, the signal there, <laughs> the sender is the male giraffe. He is his signal is smacking her butt with smacking his dad head. Ass. The female receives that signal. But what is she receiving with that signal? Like, what is the, like, is it, you smack well, me real hard? I guess that means you're a <laughs> It all comes back to the hearty and healthy genes, guys. That's just, that's evolution okay. for you. So I'm
1: just trying to figure that out. Now that we have um, breached the uh, weirdness cap for this episode. I'm um, going <laughs> to health. look more into that because
2: I want an answer to my
3: question. So
2: <laughs> we should, I, one day we will do. Animal mating rituals, and it's going to be my favorite episode that we do ever.
3: If any listeners out there are giraffe experts or happen to be, please let me know because this is going to bother me for the rest of tonight and the rest of my life (laughs) unless I find an answer.
0: So thank you. Uh, I've just been Hmm. dying on the other side of of this podcast. Y'all can't see me, but I have not been able to breathe properly for the past. Since we came Between into the
1: and the giraffes, and, you know, so next time you're at a zoo, there are like weird animals that communicate weirdly with sense. But you know, it's just oh, a small. I can name of you
3: them. some other weird ways animals communicate, but I think if, that might take. If you're getting into
1: primates, I was gonna, but depri- I won't.
2: I won't Ugh. because it's a lot, but.
3: Primates have so we're not some talk about sure these... fun ways of uh, communicating with each other. Are you,
2: are you thinking other. about bonobos? I'm absolutely
3: thinking about bonobos, Abby. <laughs> How did you know? Oh, oh thinking about
1: bonobos. Yeah. Let's not go uh,
3: down more down like that path. no, we won't. More like um, no Beno- nose. <laughs> that was actually a
1: really
3: good one um yeah listener if you want to go down that rabbit hole you're more than welcome to but uh bonobo communication it's fun if you want a really
2: good overview of bonobos and their weird habits um one of the my favorite podcasts that i listen to other than ours is keeper chat um it's so good but that podcast is definitely rated r but their 69th ninth episode
3: oh, was gosh. about
2: yeah was about. I need bonobos. to start
3: listening to them. I feel like it's really so right up good. my
2: alley. <laughs> it's right up everyone's alley. Everyone should listen to Flora and Fauna. Shout out to Flora and Fauna. You're my favorites, and you know that. Um,
3: <laughs> that's their were, names.
2: That's beautiful. That's that's their names because they don't want people. to Yeah, because them. like
3: Flora and Fauna, right. I, I got you. Like plants and animals. Yeah, those that's are, that's those just are really just, cute. I like it's that not idea. Their
2: real names. Yeah, they, they, it's, it's smart, but yeah, their episode on bonobos is really good. And if you want more weird primates, uh, mating things, then you can go to orangutan. You and can that's just talk to say me about too. That. Just reach out. I'll, uh, we'll have a,
5: we'll
3: have a chat, <laughs> yeah,
2: but totally.
3: that, that kind of ties into our concert, conservation conversation. I always have trouble saying that, um, because listening to new podcasts about animals, that's cool. Uh, But what else can we do? We can do research, man. Not that we all have the ability to go out and do legitimate animal behavior research, but we can support animal behavior research because it's so important um, because studying things like animal communication not only is super fun to just learn about because I just think it's so fun, so interesting, so many different ways. But it helps us develop new ways to better conserve animals. Uh, does anyone want to talk about this example a little bit? Yeah. yeah we
0: talk about elephants
3: and bees? Mm-hmm. I think it's a prime example of how animal communication and studying it can help conservation efforts.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So there is uh, an elephants and bees project that was done over in Kenya and Africa. And what they had found was that there was a very specific uh, signal or communication that elephants made when they were around bees. Now, the reason why this is important is that a lot of local farmers were having issues and conflict with elephants because what was happening is that elephants, you know, they're big, they're muscly, they trample all over the place, they trample your crops, and then all of a sudden they eat them. you don't have – they eat them. And so you're not <laughs> able to harvest anything and sustain you and your family. So, of course, this led, unfortunately, to a lot of wildlife conflict. But because uh, some researchers were able to find that – elephants were afraid of bees and for good reason Uh, they were like hey let's try this out and they set up bee fences so essentially around the perimeter there would be these beehives and so when the elephants would come near they would hear the bees and they go oh no that's not somewhere we want to go and they would go around and what was also really neat is that it helps to support the farmers, too, because they were able to collect the excess honey and then sell it and generate extra revenue and pollinated their crops as well. It was and like the perfect, yeah. It's the
2: perfect scenario that you like don't get in conservation that often. So when we find things really? like <laughs> elephants and bees, it is, though. And then um, in Zambia, when I was studying abroad there, they did elephants and chilies. So another chili they could do. Yeah. Like little chili peppers hmm. Ooh. because elephants don't like the taste of them because they're spicy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was another that. one that I understand that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, that's like a perfect win-win scenario. That's based on research done at a zoo, which I think is cool too.
3: Yes. Yeah. yeah that so so cool. just goes to show you research, learn something new about an animal, apply it to conservation importantly apply it to community conservation. So involving the community and not just blaming the community for, you know, loss of land or loss of animals, but helping find a solution to both problems. Uh, So you, I think listeners, I think it's fun to just kind of try out your own animal behavior research at home. You can watch us, the crazy squirrel in your backyard for all that I know. Um, observe wildlife, remember to always do so from a distance though, um, because if you disturb an animal or mess with it in any way that 's going to mess up your little research project you 're doing in your backyard that is obviously mm-hmm. very scientifically relevant but it 's fun, and you could also uh observe your i think it 's fun to observe your pets and learn more about their behavior on a daily basis if you uh are interested but also tell your friends about the things that you've learned not only from this podcast but um just in general whenever you do go out into nature or to zoos uh that's actually our challenge this week listeners we challenged you guys to share our podcast with someone new because you can hear it everywhere now so you have no excuse you could share it you know via spotify apple music whatever uh floats your boat so that's our challenge and we also have another challenge for you guys. Uh next week's episode um Abby, I feel like you know a little more about this happening in July. Yeah.
2: So, um we are in the middle of July and July has been dubbed plastic free July. So, it's an it's the idea that for the month of July you give up using single-use plastic as much as you possibly can. Now, I don't want everyone to take this challenge and be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't do it. That's okay. If it's just one thing, you're already helping. Baby steps. Um, And so little baby steps. It takes everybody doing conservation a little rather than a couple people doing it perfectly because that's not really possible. So all of us making an effort is great. So what we want you guys to do um, is go to our Facebook page or email us at conservationqueenspodcast at gmail.com. And... Um, tell us your favorite ways that you reduce your use of single use plastic. So if you have like a plastic reusable water bottle, that is reducing the use because you're not using a one that you recycle after one use. So we just want to hear what you guys do. And then maybe we can have some new ideas for us yeah. to try when we're
3: home. Maybe you use something, um, it doesn't have to be reducing if you reuse it, you know, fun ways that you might reuse recycle, uh, sorry,
2: plastic materials,
3: anything, Little or big. We're looking for your suggestions.
2: Say, I haven't bought uh, bags for my bathroom trash can in years. Just because I keep oh, reusing yeah. old, old bags that I, I feel like a lot of, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a big one. A lot of people do it, but like it, it actually is helping. Mm-hmm. So don't Let's discredit see. yourself. Yeah.
3: So thanks yeah, so much, everyone, for joining us this week. And now yeah. go out there and stay sustainable. And thanks for joining us.
0: Bye. And then (laughs) bye.